This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. Don't stress out about presents. Do something really nice for someone. Then I'm not cleaning anybody's fridge, I'm just saying. Well, that's a, that'd be a very generous present, Corrie. <laughs> I'm not cleaning your pantry with all those weevils. She used some very interesting case examples of just absolute systematic and organised hounding of sexual abuse victims who are brave enough to seek justice in Australian courts and what happens to them. There's a bit of CIA, there's a bit of MI5, but it's about escaping your childhood, reliving your childhood, how you can never do that. It's a novel about parenthood and it's a crackerjack thriller. Not quite your demographic, but I love your podcast. This week's discussion on the state election was a highlight. Phyllis, thank you for that. First of Phyllis, all, you're every- way too young for us. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi everybody, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, episode 247 and it is the first week of December and the weather is pretty shocking here in Melbourne but Caro Wilson, my podding buddy, is opposite me with a big smile on her face. Hi Caro, how's it going? It's good Corrie, the weather's alright. No, it's okay. It's lovely weekend and then suddenly we were back to Arctic temperatures. Oh. Not happy Jan. <laughs> well, given what we've been through the last um, month or two, do you know that it's been so wet that mould has become a disease in this city and state? I know. I have picked up, I've picked up snails out of their shells from my floor just hovering around the floor. How did they get in? It's oh, sort of like weird. little slugs. Yep, yep. Uh, and a friend of mine... Um, She'd had some furniture in storage while she built her home, her new home, and she's about to move into her new home and all of her lounge room suite is full of mould. So yeah. there you go. Yep. Hey, know um, that feeling. We, uh, we're on the countdown to Christmas and don't forget, everybody, that next week, which is Wednesday the 14th of December at 10.15 here at our Southbank Studios here at SEN, you can be part of our recording for the morning. You can meet our special guests. Carol and I will be on one side of the glass recording our podcast and our friends will be having morning tea and chicken sandwiches on the other side of the glass. Tickets are limited, but we'd love you to come along and you can book your ticket via um, via the links, Jane. I have to now defer to you. I know that they can contact you via feedback at don'tshootpod.com. Link in the show notes or via our email we'll send out this week. Fabulous. That's how you can do it. So anybody who's in the South Bank area next Wednesday, the 14th, we would love to see you. That's and the longest link I've ever seen. Yeah, I was going to read it out. HTTPS at ballparkentertainment.com.au forward slash tickets, forward slash don't shoot the messenger, live meet, greet with Caro Corey. Caro with two R's. Oh, yeah. And lots of hyphens. That would kill me. I couldn't. That would a little con- me. A little confusing. Uh, we must make mention of the beautiful roses that Jane, Miss Jane now, of course, as everybody knows, has her own country garden. She's no longer thieving from the nature strips of Mitcham. Uh, Jane, the name of this beautiful pale yellow rose? Is a David Austin called Teasing Georgia. And it's only because my very good friend has a daughter called Georgia that I remembered it. It was a little half-dead-looking stick on a shed, and I pruned it, and it's just bounced back. It's got a touch of the Graham Thomases about it. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful David Austin. And those yellow. Multi-layered. And the little baby white ones. Uh, Philadelphus. I'm taking cuttings for you because your garden needs it. Both of you. Yep. Um, but I we'll, want, I want I Philadelphus. Won't grow, I won't grow in mine. Check out our Instagram that. if you want to see the roses. Uh, now, Carol, I have a little gift here for you and one for me. I'm going to take mine out and then give you the bag. Our dear friends Cape Merchant and Cape Outdoor in Malvern and Sorrento have given us a little Christmas gift. And I'm really happy to say that part of the goodie bag that our listeners will be receiving who come to our live event next week, there will be a little Cape Merchant gift in there. But look at what we have. We have our own tea towel. Beautiful. With Sorrento, as in the Writers' Festival, written on it. How beautiful is that? Mine doesn't. Mine's got Portsy written on it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. How (laughs) lovely. 
thank you, Kate thank Merchant. Thank you, Kate Merchant and, we, Merchants, and we look forward to um, having them with us next week. And we've also got Ella Botanicals. Ella Botanicals are going to be adding to the goodie bag and drinks, Plinks. So come along, people. The price of your ticket is worth the goodie bag. <laughs> and also our slave Joe is making the chicken sandwiches. It just gets better and better. Uh, Phyllis Fu via Insta has said, Caro, I'm a 40-something Asian Australian, not quite your demographic, but I love your podcast. This week's discussion on the state election was a highlight. Phyllis, thank you for that. First of Phyllis, all, Phyllis, you're every- <laughs> way too young for us. <laughs> Our demographic is so diverse. As we've said before, Cara can be at the football and a coach will come up to her and say, oh, by the way, that recipe for the chicken sandwiches, can you tell me about it, please? Because my wife's desperate. Not quite sure if that's... Oh, actually, no, it did happen, it didn't it? You've that's been asked right. about recipes before by men. And, in fact, I've been on the walking track with you when a certain AFL coach passed us and stopped and just talked about the podcast for the first five minutes. Oh, look, seriously, Corrie. Um, someone who won't be listening is Christina Asker who um, sent a very strongly worded email about after our discussion about the Victorian state election result. Um, but he's um, disappointed um, with our thoughts and not subscribing anymore. Let's hope, Christina, that you find another podcast that you enjoy. And thank you for being with us for so long. And Sputnik's mum via Insta, um, on a recent stay in Paris, Corrie, enjoyed a spritz a la Sicilienne, which was the same as the Amalfi spritz you enjoyed in Italy, Caro. It may have been the glass the size of buckets they served it in, but it was a perfect drink. That's true. They do serve it in massive glasses, Sputnik's mum. Absolutely huge and perfect for people watching um, in their, in her favourite cafe and in mine. Corrie, since I've seen you last, I've been in Singapore. A quick trip. There's nothing like you for a quick trip, Carol. A flying visit to Singapore where um, I met my eldest daughter, Rose, and my granddaughter, Sunday, who were flying to Australia for the first time, well, in Sunday's case, for the first time in her very short life. And Rose has not been here for three years, so much excitement. And um, to lighten the load of the trip, I sort of met them almost halfway. It's quite a thing, as you know, travelling with Well, I've never travelled overseas with um, a child Sunday's age, 19 months old. So, um, yeah, it was great. We had two days in Singapore, those beautiful botanic gardens. Botanic, not botanical. We saw a herd of otters charging through the gardens before this massive storm as we entered the orchid garden, charging into a lake. Um, The Christmas decorations. Are they like, do they move like beavers, otters? Yeah, but they're big and they've got humps on their backs. Oh. They're extraordinary. I'd never seen anything like it. And um, the um, Christmas decorations, sorry, in Orchard Road put Australia, well, certainly put Melbourne to shame. Well, I just like the ones in Miss Amsterdam. Miss Jane, did you receive the photo? So after I left the podcast last week and I had a complete slash at the Melbourne City Council's pathetic attempt to um, do, do a nice presentation of the footbridge, I actually walked across Princess Bridge and looked and lo and behold, there it was in its sparkling bright red and junior blue and white, looking like something from the Western Bulldogs footy team uh, club mascot. And I sent the photo to Jane. I couldn't believe it. I was even more enraged after the conversation. So my grumpy just got became grumpier. Oh, look, seriously, walking into hotel, big hotels there, the way they do the fields of poncietas and big toy soldiers and massive sort of train contraptions running around with Christmas deck. They're just so beautiful. Anyway, Singapore's got some issues, I know, but they do a great Christmas. Oh, and a good mini break, it sounds like. Well, I'm glad Sunday and Rose are here safe and sound, and we hope that they all have a lovely time here in Melbourne. Carol, we have to talk about, uh, because we've been talking about it for two years, Brittany Higgins and Bruce Lemon, uh, there's a sensational decision on Friday to abandon the trial of the man accused of raping Brittany Higgins in Parliament House three years ago. And it was big news. The ACT Director of Public Prosecutions, Shane Drumgold SC, dramatically dropped the case against Bruce Lemon, the former Liberal Party staffer who was accused of raping Brittany Higgins in the parliamentary office of the then Defence Industry Minister, Linda Reynolds, and the two of them had been out on the town having a bit of a drink in March 2019, and that's where it ended up. Now, Mr Lehrman had pleaded not guilty to sexual intercourse without consent, but the decision on Friday to abandon the trial was made on the grounds that the ACT prosecution policy clearly states that prosecution should not proceed 
if there is potential harm to anyone and in this case specifically the key witness because Brittany Higgins is unwell. She has suffered um, enormously by putting herself forward as the public face of this case and and she was actually hounded in court, which is all part of, um, of what happens in court, but um, can't go on with it. And there is enormous... Uh, because enormous of the risk grounds. to her health. Because yeah. she's, she's back in hospital, obviously. Yeah. It, and, it's a... It's, it's, a, it's a tragic story. Yeah, and it just it just reminds me of, of how important it is that we look at the jurisdiction system and think about when victims of crimes such as these crimes, sexual, uh, sex, sexual abuse allegations, that they are cared for and looked after inside and outside the court but system. But could any more have gone wrong with this situation? Now, Bruce Lerman, as you said, has repeatedly and always professed his innocence, denies that any any sex took place whatsoever. Brittany Higgins says opposite. Um, she is now, um, and this has been contentious as well, launch, launched a major or is about to launch a major action against the Commonwealth and the two ministers involved, Linda Reynolds and Michaela Cash. I think Linda Reynolds plans to fight it. There's an insinuation from her partner, Brittany Higgins's partner, that Linda Reynolds leaked this story to Nine Media, to The Age. But, Corrie, you know, first of all, the trial's, Put, put off for three or four months because of Lisa Wilkinson's Logie speech where she thanked Brittany Higgins for trusting the project and for giving the interview and for giving a voice to sexual assault. Now, that was just a crazy thing to say and apparently she'd been warned, given that this case was about to go to trial and these were all allegations. Then you had the situation, you know, when the trial finally began with the juror bringing in evidence or bringing in information that he wasn't, he or she wasn't meant to have. Um, so the trial was completely aborted. Mistrial has to start all over again. Then you've got the situation of the ACT law, which isn't the same in every state in Australia where you need a, you need um, unanimous decision, unlike, say, South Australia, where it's a majority decision, which has worked there for many years. And then you've got the, on, on the ongoing role of the media and not only Lisa Wilkinson, um, but obviously Samantha Maiden, who's written a lot about Brittany Higgins and, you know, in, broken some wonderful, you know, in new in a new sense, broken some big news stories, but in the end gave a name and a voice to this that probably really, I'm not saying it's Samantha Maiden's fault or Lisa Wilkinson's fault, but you just wonder how this might have un, unfurled if in fact Brittany Higgins had been anonymous like most sexual assault victims and not put her name forward? Well, it, it, is, a, it is a tough gig if you decide to take this public, which is what uh, Louise Milligan's amazing book, Witness, which came out last year and was actually shortlisted for the 2021 Stella Prize. Louise made this point. She used some fascinating – in fact, I think I've, I have reviewed it on the, on the podcast last year, but – she used some very interesting um, case examples where um, of, of just absolute systematic and organised hounding of sexual abuse victims who are brave enough to seek justice in Australian courts and what happens to them. Now, it is part of the cut and thrust of law courts that the defence team, of course, in this case Bruce Lemon's team, will look for every hole and every opportunity. And, and, he, did, and he'd chosen not to take the stand. so he, Which he was able to do. Yep. So, and, and as we say, we don't, we don't know what happened. So that makes it even more complicated. But what we do know, Corrie, is that if you are a victim of sexual abuse or sexual assault or rape, I don't think this series of circumstances would be um, a huge encouragement for you to try and prosecute. Absolutely not. And, and yet it's interesting that the Commonwealth is apparently certainly of a mind to settle this case. So that's going to be really interesting to see um, how that unfolds. Mm -hmm. um, what happens with Linda Reynolds is going to be interesting too. I mean, obviously she's no longer a minister, neither is Michaela Cash. And what I think is definitely agreed upon is that this has just been woefully handled by the government authorities, I, I reckon. And yes, it's 
it was terrible for Scott Morrison and his reputation with women, which was already not great, and I think justifiably so. But again, you just go both these both sides of this story has have been irrevocably damaged by what has taken place. Mm, yeah, I agree, and I think it's really sad and just really like so many on Twitter and Instagram sending love and support to Brittany Higgins, I think our podcast does as well, Caro. Um, now, on to um, another subject which has been concerning me, and when I brought it up with you the other day when we were walking, you said, yeah, actually that's really sort of interesting too. Uh, a friend of mine said, who's not going through such a great time at the moment, said, um, it's going to be a really tough Christmas for us this year. I feel really overwhelmed when I hear of everybody making plans and seeing family and doing things, we're not in that boat this year. And I won't go into any details, but it did get me thinking about how to prepare for the Christmas season when you are faced with adversity. Maybe you've lost a family member, maybe you're in financial stress or you're feeling isolated, anxiety or flood damaged, or even uh, maybe, you know, COVID is about to rear its ugly head and and all well, of your, all of your plans come moment. asunder. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so in the next couple of episodes, we'll obviously talk, be talking about happier things to do with Christmas and the summer holidays. But I just thought we might pause for a minute and kind of look at Christmas and think of ways that Christmas can come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and what to do if you are alone or if somebody you love is no longer in your life uh, or if suddenly plans come asunder. Like at, like mine at Easter, when we had Easter all organised, family and Easter egg hunts and drinks with friends and Good Friday lunches and Pete and I got COVID. Yeah, look, there are several elements to this. And um, I remember how disappointed you were, quite apart from the fact that you probably weren't all that well either. I mean, one element is the um, is loneliness. And if you've just not got anyone to celebrate with this year... Another element is financial stress. You might have a lot of family, but you just can't afford to do the turkey and do the tree and do all the trimmings. And I think the best attitude might, because it's going to be a different Christmas for me this year, and hopefully in a good way, my thing is just don't stress out about presents. For the first time, I'm really, I mean, I know I said, I know I boasted about having sent Ned off his international package a few weeks ago, but don't stress out about presents. Do something really nice for someone, even if it's, I don't know, going around and making their bed or um, um, with my father, I'm not going to see I'm him. not cleaning anybody's fridge, I'm just saying. Well, that's that would be a very generous present, Corrie. I'm not, I'm not cleaning it. your pantry with all those weevils. I might Actually, I might sort through your flower collection. I've always had a bit of an F-L-O-U-R I have collection. No, I have no, there are no weevils at the beach. I think experiences, if you've got the time. I mean, we just um, took um, my father to see one of his favourite local musicians to um, play, which he would never normally do, at a local concert on Albert Park Lake. I think I mentioned it, Rebecca Bernard a few weeks ago. Had a fantastic night. Um, didn't really cost all that much, but it was just a great experience. Um, I think it's great if you can just plan a meal but not go overboard. Mm. But the presence is a thing that's worrying it because it is just... Too much stuff. Mm, I think everyone's feeling that at the moment. There's yeah. just too much stuff. And there's not enough money, let's be honest. Yep. You know, I, I mean, I had this conversation, isn't it interesting, because I wrote columns about this in The Age 25 years ago. And my daughter, Francesca, Harriet's at the, in the last year of kindergarten, so there's a lot happening with school, um, you know, for next year. So there's a little moment where they went to the new school and met the new teacher they have breakup at kinder the other kids have got other breakups charlie's you know work is having drinks there's drinks and things and god knows what everything and she's pulling her hair out saying why does christmas in australia have to coincide with the end of the school year which has always been such a you know we we're stuck with it and there's massive holiday and rather she's than just a one week yeah. two week holiday yeah, exactly and she's exhausted and she's got to prepare for summer the summer holidays when she goes back to work who's going to look after the kids because the child her mind is just ready to explode and i think lots of people are in the same boat 
I was having a cup of tea with friend of the pod, Dr. Nick, our friendly psychiatrist, and I mentioned that we were going to be talking about this today. And I said, what is it about Christmas that sends us all completely around the twist if we don't feel we're, we have the full family, the full turkey, we're all organised, all the bonbons are done and everything's great. And he said, we, it's, a, it's a childhood memory that we're clutching after. Because as children, Christmas, of course, came in all sorts of different shapes and sizes, but we never noticed it. We never noticed that Granny had died, or, you know, if we were a certain age, we would, but, you know, that Granny was no longer with us or that um, um, there was a, a, a fight over the family, you know, the uncles in the kitchen fighting and having a before. Kids don't realise that. They just see the joy and the fun and Father Christmas and the presents under the tree. And so Nick's thing is that we go back to our childhood self and we often say, oh, Christmases aren't like they used to. A lot of people do feel that. And it actually goes back to that Victorian England model, doesn't it? Made so popular by Queen Victoria and Prince Albert of the family around the tree, singing carols, serving the plum pudding, happy days, happy days. And it's just not like that. Beautifully I, wrapped presents. Yeah, and, and you know, if, if potties feel that I'm being a bit smug about this and I, or in the next couple of weeks, I just want to point out that, and I'm sure you have too, Carol, and certainly Jane, I've had a couple of really yucky Christmases in my life. The first couple after my father died were just shocking. The, the years after my first marriage broke up where you've got the kid sharing thing and trying to navigate that is just another nightmare. I've had a couple of years with the shop where we haven't had such a great Christmas and you're terribly worried, gosh, that was it and we haven't made the money that we thought we would and now we're really chasing chasing ourselves. Uh, so I just suggest now to people... now I've got to serve lunch. And now I have to serve lunch for 20 people. So I just suggest to people that think about Christmas coming in different shapes and sizes. It might just be a phone call to a few friends in the morning to make you feel good. It might be a picnic in the park. It might just be saying to a few friends or family, let's catch up for a drink. And as you say, go easy on the, on the presents. You don't have to give everybody a gift. It's not important. If it's a hot day, go to the beach. Go to a movie. Exercise. If you have a walk in the morning. I don't think you can go to a movie on Christmas. Can't you? Oh, the cinema's open on Christmas Day now. They do on Good Friday. Maybe they do. Certainly, the other we thing have is. To check that. The other thing is, Corrie, and, and you mentioned it before about, you know, it falling in the holiday period. Embrace the good things about that. Like, embrace the spontaneity. My favourite lead up to Christmas memories are when you run into a friend at the market and go, let's just have a coffee. <laughs> Or let's go and have a – you run into them late in the day. Come round and have a glass of wine and the house is chaotic and there's stuff everywhere and you just sit there and have an unscheduled glass of wine or cup of tea. And that is is what I love about this time of the year, running into people and just doing it and not worrying about all the other stuff. Well, you remember you and I were friends at the time, but when I was, excuse me, 19 or 20 and both my mother and my brother lived interstate – I actually put my hand up to work, shift work at the age. I thought, why not? You know, yep. that's Christmas. That's also a good way to get over the day itself, to keep yourself busy. Can't recommend it more highly if, in fact, your work allows you to do that. So just remember, everybody, look, Carol and I are not psychologists at all in this area. Far from it. But we just wanted to acknowledge that Christmas isn't easy for all our listeners. And, and you turn on the radio and you, your normal people aren't on the radio because they're having a you know month-long break and you turn on breakfast TV and it's either not on or the ABC doesn't have all its normal shows. I mean, all those things too yes, are I hard agree. for people who aren't doing anything differently yeah, Pattern, yeah, your pattern has changed. Yep. Yeah, yep. Just, just maybe avoid candles by uh, carols by candlelight. What, did did you read television? that Rhonda Birchmore article a few weeks ago? I really like Rhonda Birchmore. And she's always doing, you know, she's doing the one in Sydney, the Domain, and she's doing the one at Geelong. But I don't think she's been asked to do the one at the My Music Bowl. Has Dennis Walter been asked? Yeah, I think Dennis is there. Anyway, I just read a quote where it said Christmas... Christmas isn't Christmas without Rhonda or something like <laughs> Carol's isn't Carol's without Rhonda. I think she spoke about herself in the third person. <laughs> I love that. It was a column. It was a, in a gossip column in the Herald Sun. I was killing myself. And don't forget, everybody, Christmas is not Christmas without Anna Barry, Anna from the Op Shop's Turkey Brian recipe. So having said, don't worry too much about what you eat on the day. If you are doing a turkey and you're in a tiz about it, me personally can't stand the bird 
cannot stand it. Always ends up dry. Can't stand it. Because you've never brined it. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not going to start. But if you are interested, Anna will be in in a couple of weeks for our special Christmas. And um, must sort of say as well, um, if anything that we've talked about and you're thinking, yeah, actually, I am going to have a pretty average Christmas this year, don't forget Beyond Blue, gather my crew, um, heads What is Beyond Blue are? What a day to run their fundraising run on Sunday. It was about 35 degrees and windy as anything in Melbourne. There was so it was a big ambulance shortage in Melbourne over the weekend, and a lot of them were obviously around at, I think, was it at Albert Park Lake, wherever it was, there wasn't a lot of shade. I mean, great fundraising, great initiative, made more money than they'd hoped, but what a day to be going on a fun run. Mm, especially was, if you suffer from sinus or asthma. A lot of ambulances um, taken up with that. We don't have the privilege of Miles Thompson's company today. Miles from Prince Wine Store, who usually joins us for this segment. He is busy, I think, busy as 10 men wrapping all of those Christmas parcels. But More importantly, we've got his tips. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. And I know Miles wanted to talk about the December Christmas pack. There are lots of really interesting things in this mix, doesn't And, of course, if you go on to princewinestore.com.au, you too can have a look and see what there is. But I thought that you might like, Caro, the Antonio Suave. Remember last year we were rather keen on Suave? Yes. And this is made in the foothills of the Dolomites. I love the descriptions. I, actually, I want that job at Prince Wine Store. Dear Alex and Miles, can I please work as your copywriter because I would love to be writing this. I just like saying Suave. <laughs> Set in the foothills before the Dolomites, with most sites sitting between 250 to 500 metres, the wines of Antonio Fattori are a masterclass of focus and definition. And here we have Antonio Suave. So that's one of the pack, which I think would be really good. You've been to San Gimignano, haven't you? Oh, it's a beautiful place. Well, there's a Fontaglione, uh, is the family estate, and there is a particular um, wine from that region that you might like as well. So we got there, Janie. We've got a couple of interesting reds. There's an apple cider in the box. Did you oh, know Miles that? Oh, Miles was very excited about this. Yep, he wanted to talk about the apple cider. There's yep. also a magnum, Corrie. So, I mean, hello. <laughs> that very special day. We're going to talk in a minute about getting sleepy on Christmas Day. And there is, this is a lovely Pinot that I've actually chosen before from Prince Wine Store, Silent Way, 2021 Silent Way. And it's from uh, an area around Kilmore. Matt Harrop is the winemaker there. And this is um, a really beautiful, um, beautiful Pinot Noir. So there's a lot in the box. Go and have a look at it. And there is a special offer on Miles's Christmas dozen, and I'm sure that he'll talk about it when he's with us again next week. And remember, Corrie, don't shoot the messenger listeners. Just have to get online. And remember, you can you can see all Miles's recommendations in our show notes. But otherwise, but remember to put in the code M E S and you'll get your special podcast ten percent discount. That's PrinceWineStore.com.au. Miles's mixed Christmas dozen. Carol, on to books, screen and food. Now, you are going to kick us off with a book this week and it looks like a crackerjack novel by one of my favourite writers and you've never heard of him. That's interesting. Well, I've heard of him. I've never read him. I mean, his name is familiar. His name is Nicholas Shakespeare. Um, relation? <laughs> no, kidding. Um, he's written several novels. I'll have to just look into the 400-year-old family tree I know. there. And, you know, really, Nicholas, I mean, talk about a way to get attention. The book and on the front cover, it's called The Sandpit. It's a sort of a thriller. It's set in Oxford. I've absolutely loved this book. Mum gave it to me a few weeks ago and said, oh, I love this guy. You must love him too. And I'd never, ever read him. He's um, recently wrote a book about Tasmania where he rediscovered his own roots with Tasmania. And that's a fascinating book, apparently. But The Sandpit, set in Oxford, this is a... A beautiful story, and it's a story of basically um, a widower who returns to, to Oxford with his son. His wife has left him, the mother of the son has left him, and run off with another Brit over in South America. And in fact, um, she's married this person and had twins and doesn't really want to know about her beautiful boy anymore. So um, the father has taken him, has brought him over to Oxford and put him into the Phoenix School, which is where he went to school as a young child, a co-ed school, which completely 
shaped his life. Um, the backstory of the former journalist and the main character in this book, he's sort of a burnt-out journalist who basically um, was about to break the biggest story of his life and for reasons which you sort of don't really understand, decided not to run the story, basically. Do you find out later? Sort of, yes, because he did it to protect to protect one of his sources. So he's come back to Oxford from Brazil. He's put his son into this school and there are all sorts of people at the school now. There are Russians, there are Iranians, there are Americans. You know, there's all the melting pot. He meets one night. His son has been bullied, as is the son of um, his Iranian friend, who he he basically meets this Iranian. He's he's a young um, researcher, scientist. They meet at a sandpit where John Dyer, the hero of the story, many, many years ago, a significant thing happened in his life. And they... Their two boys are being bullied by a Russian kid. And it's sort of symbolic, really, of the world situation. But um, he meets up again with the Iranian. Um, the Iranian has made a major, major discovery as part of his scientific research. He's there with his son, but his wife and baby are back in Iran, basically being kept prisoner. And it's what happened once this Iranian character realises what he's discovered and tries to keep it a secret. So does the, the journalist remain the independent observer or does the journalist involved? No, because become he's, involved? he's left behind with the secret mm. because the Iranian and his son disappear. And the American, there's a bit of CIA, there's a bit of MI5, there's um, the Iranians, there's people breaking into his house and stealing his son's gym bag. There's a f- great fly fishing episode in the book up in northern England. But it's about... Escaping your childhood, reliving your childhood, um, how you can never do that. It's a novel about parenthood and it's a crackerjack thriller and about it, a major scientific discovery. This is discovery. a good one, good one for men and women on the beach, I suspect. Now, I hope you're not giving anything away, but why is it called The Sandpit? Well, it's where he and um, the Iranian scientists meet. Um, they're standing by the sandpit when they realise that each other's son are also being bullied by this Russian right. kid. And... Um, that some of the characters in this book are absolutely fascinating. It's really symbolic of a worldwide sort of melting <laughs> pot and international science and politics and espionage. But um, <coughs> something significant happened to John Dyer when he was a student at the school involving another student. And look, it, it's it's pretty multi-layered. I can't, I couldn't put it down. And in fact, when I was over in Singapore, Rose nicked it at one stage and nicked it when we got back to Australia because she now can't put it down either. It's really interesting. And there's a sort of tragic backstory too involving John Dyer, the former journalist. It, it's just, it's, it's really good. I really loved it. I would highly recommend The Sandpit. A bit of cut above your average beach read, really enjoyed it. Now, Corrie, you've been watching Netflix. Yes, now, definitely Netflix, can I just say from the outset. I've checked this, I reckon, probably nine times. Just don't want any more marital disputes. (laughs) So, Caro, have you seen uh, the documentary on Joan Didion, The Centre Will Not Hold? No, I'm put off by Joan Didion things because it's just so sad. Oh, the year is, of magical thinking was so sad. It was really sad. She's had she's had tragedy in her life, but not all the way through it. But f- strangely enough, this is kind of uplifting. So Joan Didion is one of Austra- one of America's great journalists and great writers, and she died in December last year uh, as a result of um, complications with Parkinson's disease, which she had suffered for a few years. This documentary was made by her nephew, Griffin Dunn, who is a filmmaker, and it was made in 2017. And it is one of the finest documentaries of uh, bi- bi- biographical documentaries I think I have seen in recent years. Griffin Dunn, Dunn being the son of Dominic Dunn. Correct. One of our favourite writers. One of our favourites and, and better known in later years as a contributor to Vanity Fair. Correct. So clearly storytelling runs thick in this family. Um Look, I'm somewhat of a late arrival uh, to this to this documentary. I feel like there's been this fabulous New York party that's been going on and I've only just arrived and I just want more of it. I have read The Year of Magical Thinking, Thinking. and I have read her collection of essays, but I have gone on a, in recent times before seeing this documentary, I've gone on a Joan Didion buying frenzy. So I now have most of her work and over summer this is what I'm going to do. I just wanted to mention it because um, probably a lot of Melbournians 
during our 39 lockdowns here probably caught this on Netflix. But those of you who haven't, Joan Didion, this is the story really of her life and the two great loves of her life, John Gregory Dunn, who was her husband, who was a journalist and writer, and then ended up writing some wonderful novels. And her daughter or their daughter, Quintana, Quintana Rue Dunn uh, was, um, she had a terrible fall in, on an LA airport tarmac and smashed her head and had a brain bleed and was in a coma at the same time that John Gregory Dunn had a heart attack and died suddenly. She lost them both in the same year. Well, Quintana recovered from the coma, but Joan did not want to bury her husband until Quintana was through the coma and out of hospital, which they did. But Quintana was never quite the same. Um, She had a lot of mental health issues, um, physical and mental. So anyway, sadly, she died um, a year later. So yes, so she lost both of them um, in a short space of time. And um, The Year of Magical Thinking, which was later made into a stage play on Broadway starring Vanessa Redgrave in the title role, was just about losing John. Because as Joan says in this amazing piece of film footage, she talks about it and she just said, I just haven't, wasn't ready for so long to talk about Quintana. So anyway, we, we followed Joan's amazing career. She started in the 1950s. She won an essay competition with Vogue, so she ended up in New York. And um, not long after, she was quite young when she met Dunn and married him. And her first big story was uh, an essay slouching toward Bethlehem and in which she described the hippie scene of Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco in 1967. And it was here that she really made a name for herself. And we go right back to Joan's upbringing, um, her, her life in New York in the 1950s and 60s, how she became so socially aware and involved in all these big issues, uh, anti-Vietnam moratoriums, writing about the women's live movement, writing about the hippie movement, which, of course, then she felt went completely off the rails. By 1969, 1970, it was all about drugs. So she became... Um, she became less enamoured with it, right through her right through her remarkable reporting career. This is a wonderful, um, nostalgic, fabulous essay, uh, a visual essay of life in the sixties and seventies when New York was sparkling. You know, all those amazing writers were at their fore. All new journalism had come in, and um, and a number of Jones uh, friends, including Harrison Ford, who before he was an actor was a carpenter in in. LA, which is where um, Joan and John went to live for a period of years. And um, he was a carpenter and he met them and he told them, oh, he'd like quite like acting. And he became their best friend. He used to go to the, he talks about how he used to go to these amazingly exotic lunches and there would be all of these young directors around the table, people like Spielberg and, uh, and, and Francis Ford Coppola, and they'd all be around the table arguing about art and Harrison Ford became so engaged. Really recommend this on Netflix if you are um, in the mood for just a beautiful bio of somebody you may or may not know a lot of, but gosh, it's certainly interesting. The Centre Will Not Hold, and it's the life of Joan Didion. Just as a mention on screen and also on Netflix, my sister, who I've just caught up with, Moggs has raved about the Marie Antoinette eight-part series, which oh, has great. just been released, released in November, late November. And also Harry and Meghan's Netflix series. Oh, uh, save, save that for Grumpy. Save it for Grumpy. Um, <laughs> Marie Antoinette is made by the director who made The Favourite, and it's she said, but it's a 21st century lens on Marie Antoinette. She said it's absolutely brilliant. There's a, there are a lot of good Netflix series and coming out and Stan, as as you would expect over the holiday season. Corrie, food. This is a very, very short recipe. It's more a discussion about the ingredient, which I've mentioned before. Macrate lime leaves, form, the leaf formerly known as kaffir. Some places it's still known as kaffir. Why did it change its name? Political. Okay. Um, but a anyway. Bit, a bit like your sooty peat in Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was sort of. Sort of. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Now, um, Clem put me onto this. This is the most, as you know, I absolutely love, and I know you do too, oysters. It is just my favourite, favourite thing. Um, an oyster and a glass of champagne. I don't think there is any better companionable food and drink and it's one of my favourite foods. She has been making a vinaigrette which she's always used red wine vinegar and shallots 
salt and pepper, tiny bit of water to just take away that sharpness of the red wine vinegar and the chopped shallots and the salt and pepper. Add a few slithers of macaret lime leaves. Corrie, this is the most beautiful vinaigrette you will ever imagine. Mm. Tiny, tiny slices. Now, I remember you did a cooking course once. Did you do it in Bangkok? I did. And you it didn't, and you learned how to perfectly serve or cut the how macaret lime leaf. How to perfectly cut a lime leaf. Yeah. So you go down, did you, you go in the you middle take of the... the you, t- you cut either side of the, of the stem or the vein and you must pull that out and then you can just cut very, very neat... Thinly sliced. Um, really thinly sliced little tiny strips. Don't try and do it with the vein in. They are, it, it is it's not so. Rocket, it's not rocket science. Actually. Well, no, I know, but it's so. But I didn't go to Bangkok just to learn that, can I say? Once you've done that, though, you put that into your salad dressing, um, you toss it through your thinly shaved um, cabbage slaw. Another great use Yum. of macaroni. Throw, obviously throw it into curries, but I think it is one of the most beautiful ingredients. And as you know, I've planted one in my garden now. Now, they're not the most attractive trees. A normal lime tree is much more attractive. And the actual limes themselves don't really count for much. I've grated the rind of the lime, but that's about it. You we probably... only love you for your leaf. The leaf is so delicious and you don't need many, but throw it into your oyster vinaigrette your vinaigrette to have with oysters, absolutely delicious. Sounds delicious. That's uh, BSF for this week. Thank you, Red Energy. And don't forget, if you're moving house, call your local energy retailer, Red Energy, and they will hook you up. Now, Caro, uh, you've sort of alluded to what you might be grumpy about. I'm ducking for cover here. I'm sick to death of Harry and Meghan. I'm sorry. Oh, I had a feeling that was going I to mean, happen. I mean, clearly, uh, I know. They are everywhere on Instagram at the moment. Is, is it is it because I read it all the time that they keep coming up on my feed? Is it because I... Because I, you talk about it in front of your phone and the phone is collecting the oh, data. That's, that's really frightening. So you have to stop mentioning Sussex, Meghan or Harry and your phone will calm down. A, a greater pair of self-absorbed, look at me, look at me... Um, Harsh. We hate the royal system, but we're living in its largesse and will do for the rest of our lives. I'm sorry. The only the only documentaries and stories and interviews that have made them successful are the things that involve the royal family. Now, they, they went to England and tried to film certain things and they weren't allowed to, so that would have hurt the documentary. We now know why Harry made that speech at the UN. I don't think many people, well, certainly I think only, it was only half full the auditorium where he made the speech. Oh, don't be like that. We now know why they went over to, well, the Invictus Games, okay, that's his cause, that's great. But seriously, I'm sick of them. I, I just think they are, so, and, and, you know, there's been the, the nasty stuff with, you know, Kate and Will and obviously... Megan was determined to sabotage their visit to America. And I think, did they get booed at some sporting event? I, don't, I didn't see that. No, they were. They were. They were booed. And I don't well, really... Do you, are you blaming Megan and Harry for that? Well, yeah. What about the American Revolution of 200 years ago when the, yeah. when the Americans said, no thanks, Brits, it, we don't want a bar of it? It was unfortunate that Will's Prince William's godmother made that unfortunate <laughs> racist comment at that reception at Buckingham Palace. And I think that was might have had something to do with the booing and it probably played right into Meghan's hands. But I am sick of them. I just cannot believe... I'm actually that... sick of the royal family now, I have to say. I've gone right off them. Really? Yeah, right off them since the Queen's death. Well, that was always going to happen. But I, I really think there is so, much, so many comparisons now with the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. And to call your novel spare, I mean, anyway... Sick of them both. Make me grumpy. Move on. Take that. Um, Six quick questions, Corrie, for Red Energy. Now, what's your favourite Christine McVeigh song? Look, I've thought long and hard about this. Obviously, Christine – is it Christine – I thought it was Christine McVeigh. 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 Okay, well – Or whatever. God rest her soul. She died last week. She um, was just a a much – I mean, I suppose Stevie Nicks – because of writing Rhiannon and so many other incredible songs. Well, she had such a distinctive voice and look. And landslide and, yeah, Rhiannon. I, I once went to a Monash University ball, Dress as Your Hero. Yeah. Dean, as we know, was married or partnered for many years with Lindsay Buckingham. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a lot of their biggest hits, including Don't Stop, 
which, put, I mean, it's been used in so many ads now and obviously Bill Clinton's campaign, so it sort of put me off a bit. Her biggest hit after Don't Stop was Hold Me, which I absolutely love, but I think my number one would be Songbird. And the songbirds are singing Let me know there's gone That is a beautiful song. And, there you um, go. Anyway, I really, I've really enjoyed her work over the years. What was this week's? Oh, talking about your dreams again, Corrie. What was this week's weirdest <laughs> this dream? Was, this was wacko. This was wacko. So, if anybody follows anything vaguely royal on Instagram, you've been inundated with Kate and Will's trip to America, and um, in particular, darting here and there and everywhere around Boston. So it was in my head clearly, and I was in the middle of. A, a cocktail party somewhere um, in my dream and all of a sudden Kate was there in a bright green dress and she looked exhausted and I said, are you okay? Because that's what we're taught to say, aren't we, when we think people are having a mental health issue. Are you okay? And she said, no, I'm not. I'm just exhausted. This has been the toughest year of our lives. I'm just, uh, Wills is a wreck and my father-in-law is just overwhelmed with the work and and I'm going, oh, you poor thing. And then she said, I miss the Queen. And I said, so do I. And I can remember patting her on the shoulder saying, so do I. That is bizarre. I don't miss the Queen. <laughs> well, it was pretty amazing when she died, wasn't it? I mean, weeks and weeks of... I miss the Queen. Oh, that, that's, that's pretty... That's anyway, pretty there you weird. go. Caro. What media event did you see over the weekend that you never thought you'd see? The AFL release a major part of the fixture and be totally pretty much sneered at, scoffed at and criticised for their very poor and cynical timing. Um, The fixture was run on page one of the News Limited Press, certainly here in Melbourne, at the Herald Sun, Sunday Herald Sun, the round one of the AFL 2023 fixture, on the morning when the Socceroos were playing in the round of 16 against Argentina. Oh, you think it was oh, you think it was a rain on your parade? Well, the AFL saying we were always going to release it on this Sunday morning. Really poor timing, AFL. Bad move, didn't read the room. It looked it it looked petty. And even if it was an accident, which is even more embarrassing. I, I I'm really even people who were largely cheerleaders for the AFL was so critical and it, it it particularly because Australia put up such a gallant effort could have actually won didn't win but certainly left with their heads held high and everyone had been so into the Socceroos I was really surprised that they decided to do that mm. and it was a bad move. Well I was doing high fives because the first match is Hawthorne v Essendon and my son lame, now, my, my son now works for Essendon. Do you think I might get a ticket? That would be great. Anyway, well done, Socceroos. Well done, boys. Oh, just they they got so close. Corrie, which Christmas chore would you like to outsource? The detangling of the Christmas lights. Oh, it's a shocker, isn't it? Uh, Actually, yeah, like I'm not even going to say first world problem because I'm over that saying as well. But really, with in the scheme of things, does it really matter? Well, look, it did on Sunday afternoon, and I have about five different lots, all from Kmart and Target. They're not particularly. Oh, they. Oh, no, I should say they're. they're Isn't it easier pun, just to go on, But they're not that expensive. I mean, I know I hate to oh, be I, wasteful. No, that's totally wasteful. And do you know what? I, I actually, I actually had a good idea for a new business, which is, you somehow obtain, the globe of every single type of Christmas light there is. And you just sell them at bargain prices to people who that need you can globes. fix on to yes. the... Yes. So I have five different types of globe. One from Ikea. I think the others are from Kmart and Target over the years. And on every string of, of Christmas lights, there are at least six, eight bulbs that no longer work. Now, where do you go to get the new... And everyone is different. Everyone is different. So that was just the weekend's exhausting Christmas chore. I and if somebody would like to do it for me next year, please put up your hand. I got home from Singapore and uh, back courtyard was adorned with lights. Brendan had done it as a bit of a welcome oh. home. Oh, that's, that's along like with lots Chevy, of... Chevy Chase would do that in um, 
Along with lots of yellow Christmas balloons vacation. and lovely signs saying, Welcome home, Sunny. Oh, well, that's lovely. Well, welcome to Melbourne. So, and a little koala with an Australian flag. It was pretty cute. Oh, but the Christmas lights were the highlight. Oh, that's, you know, like there's Brendan. He's now on quiet time now that the election's over. And he's doing that for his granddaughter. I think that's really lovely. Caro, plum pudding or no plum pudding? No plum pudding this year. I love them. And next year I'll probably start early and make one because years ago I did and it was absolutely beautiful, although not as good as my mum's. Her Christmas puddings um, are legendary. No, not this year. I do have a little plastic, uh, a little cellophane bag with my grandmother on my father's side's little things she put into no the little horseshoes and little things oh, okay. little treats you put into it and, and it, you, you kill people it's sitting, and they choke on it well it's sitting on my table and i thought this year and oh. they thought no i'm no, the occupational health and safety officers will be down on you like a ton of bricks i'm going offshore for christmas this year and look the truth is I, you only want the berries after that massive lunch that's the way i feel so not this year Corrie, what is this week's amazing fact well a lot of people uh, know or think that the christmas turkey makes you tired you know that you've heard that before because it's full of tryptophan. No. Oh God! I have, to, I've I have never to do heard a, I have to do a fact before the fact. I've never. Oh, this ever... is going to be exhausting. Okay, so tryptophan is. You mean um, when you eat it, it makes you tired, yeah, or cooking trypt- it, or trypt- contemplating tryptophan, it? Tryptophan can be found in meats such as turkey, chicken, and fish. It can also be found in eggs and some dairy products, and it is. Um, now I'm now I'm really scratching because I thought you might have known about tryptophan. Tryptophan no, is one of several essential amino acids, which are considered the building blocks of proteins in animals and plants. And it has serotonin, a hormone that ha- helps regulate the mood, and melatonin in it, which helps with the sleep cycle. So, scientists and um, followers of popular science for years have been blaming the Christmas turkey, the reason why people fall asleep after b- big Christmas lunch. I would suggest the amount of alcohol that some people drink might have something to do with it. And anyway, they've eaten too, just they've eaten too much. You anyway, go into a food coma. Anyway, back to Dr. Nick, who alerted me to this amazing fact the other day while we were having our interesting cup of tea. Oh, there was so much to discuss. <laughs> Um, he told me that the poor the, the, the poor turkey has been maligned for years as causing this, and in fact, it's not the turkey's fault. Trip, the tryptophan in turkey does not make you tired um, because there's just not enough of it. Oh. Um, but the suggestion is that the breads and the potatoes and the peas and the sugary drinks and the puddings and and the smoked salmon you've already had before you've started <laughs> and the alcohol and everything and the and the exotic turkey and and sleep and it will come up this particular page and you too can wow your friends when you come up with that amazing fact there you go that is i i did not know that well don't i blame did the poor not know that i won't because i don't like turkey now um caro uh lots to discuss in the next couple of weeks our final uh episode of don't shoot the messenger in two weeks will be our Christmas special. But next week, you and I are going to do our annual best of for 2022. So there will be some earnest and serious moments like uh, highlights or best of or great moments of 2022 in politics, for example. But we'll also do a few uh, frivolous things as well, like words that really annoyed us in 2022. You're going to talk about the big footy stories of 2022. I might do a bit of a books rundown. You might do a bit of a screen So everybody, have your notebooks ready because there'll be lots of important and, dare I say, utterly irrelevant information. Should we make it to the top five? Oh, let's do a top five, 2022. So that's next week and we look forward to everybody joining us. Thank you to our show sponsors, Red Energy and, of course, Prince Wine Store. You guys are great. And, Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger and we invite you to join us at our live event. Thanks to Red Energy on Wednesday the 14th of December at quarter past 10 to watch us record a podcast and have morning tea with Caro and Corrie. Tickets are limited. You'll find the booking link in the show notes. That's Wednesday the 14th of December. Come and have a morning tea with Caro and Corrie. Thanks to Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas.